you know, what kind of Tantra are you teaching me? Are you teaching me some uh, Neo-Tantra that is mostly about, you know, having sex in a bit more slow way with some incense sticks on the side? Or are you teaching me traditional Tantra here? Hello and welcome. You are listening to A Walk in the Heart, a podcast about Tantra, psychology and spirituality. Join us as we explore what spiritual wisdom can offer to people like you and me. Thank you for being here. Welcome back, beloved listeners, to A Walk in the Heart. I am your host, Maria Blandin Wegener. I'm a psychologist and Tantra and yoga teacher for uh, one and a half decades. And uh, thank you for being here with us today. If you haven't yet, please give us a wonderful five star, 20 brownie points review on whatever podcast provider you might be using. Um, we keep our podcast advertisement free because we want to dedicate it to spirituality and not to all sorts of other distractions um, but for that it is helpful that you give us a good review so we can keep doing what we're doing and have it worthwhile and it also warms our heart every time we see a good review and we feel that we are sort of reaching a crowd that finds our um, conversations meaningful this definitely is very heartwarming for us so please go ahead and leave us a review if, um, if you feel like um, in our episode today, we want to basically play back um, a lecture for you that we had some time ago, uh, with a, basically with the title, Is Tantra All About Sex? And um, obviously, within this lecture, we address a fundamental question that within the 15 years that I've been teaching Tantra, I hear it over and over and over and over and over again as much as by now um, when we, Oriel and I come into a room and we teach a Tantra workshop um, and we ask, okay guys, who of you has ever heard about Tantra and what's your first uh, impression of Tantra? Um, within those 15 years that I've been teaching, things have changed drastically. I mean, in the beginning when I started teaching, it would be like, oh yeah, Tantra is some, either what, I've never heard that word, or it's some sort of sex thing, it's some sort of Thai massage, happy ending, something, something, something with position, something with lasting longer, and so forth. So by now, when we ask um, our students even, uh, right out of the gate, people that have never been in a tantra course before, they typically know, okay, yes, of course, it has some sort of sensual connotation, but it's also about consciousness and about um, like expanding your vision and your perceptions and integrating life and spirituality. So there's a lot more understanding of, of what tantra is, but it still definitely has quite a bit of a... Um, sexual uh, slash erotic connotation um also it's a point that worries people i noticed like people that maybe have um 
read some books about Tantra, some scholarly books, and have understood, well, yeah, there's also a traditional path. It's still like, well, but, you know, what kind of Tantra are you teaching me? Are you teaching me some uh, neo-Tantra that is mostly about, you know, having sex in a bit more slow way with some incense sticks on the side? Or are you teaching me traditional Tantra here? So very often there is this sort of distinction between, well, is it sexual Tantra or is it Tantra Tantra? But in traditional sense, you can, you can actually not really draw that line. The whole point of Tantra is that it embraces everything as sacred, right? So obviously, um, sexuality and our erotic life is a part of that. So within this lecture, we, we basically approach this question in a, in a bit of a playful way. And uh, yeah, Oriol will basically make the point of um, answering to this question, is Tantra all about sex with no? And I will be answering to this uh, question, is Tantra all about sex with yes? Because both of them, of course, have relevance and we come to the conclusion that actually there needs to be a complementary understanding, a complex understanding to answer this, this question for real. So yeah, it's a... It's a very fun lecture, as, as I thought, to share with you on the podcast and um, yeah, to see a little bit the back and forth between uh, Oriel and I and yeah, somehow giving this um, a bit of a yeah, playful maybe depiction of this general conflict that is out in the, in the tantric community and also a general misunderstanding really of, uh, of the tantric path and um, you know, which is understandable if you read, for example, um, you know, some really old tantric biographies that go into a bit more of detail. Um, you will find a classic tantric nun to give the, um, you know, to do all the, the vows as, as it used to be in that time, giving all the vows very often from the uh, Kashmirian area and then uh, in Tibet it would be Buddhist vows, the Bodhisattva vow and giving all the precepts, giving up all worldly things and you know dedicating all life to uh, to the Dharma, to the unworldly uh, things and um, you know abandoning marriage, abandoning having a house, abandoning having a job, abandoning having children and like you know, preparing for monastery, basically, and then going with a guru and basically, you know, having a whole lot of uh, erotic interactions um, as a practice. So people would be sort of confused. They would be like, excuse me, you just made a vow not to, you know, not to do such stuff. And now you're telling me you're rolling around in the hay here with your guru day and night. What's going on? So, yeah, it's, it is understandable why uh, this path of, of unity um, that Tantra offers is confusing in that sense. And that's why we wanted to give this lecture, which makes it less serious and a bit more playful and still gives a good understanding of some of the ground principles of, uh, of Tantra and of the yes and no of this uh, is Tantra all about sex question. So I hope very much you uh, enjoy this lecture. And uh, I'll, uh, I'll be going through it as well now. And i see you on the other side. If I have some comments, then I'll leave them in the end. So let's get to it. 
Tantra all about sex? Yeah? Tantra is all about sex and also, no, not at all. It just is not all about sex. So in order to give this uh, two different and yet complementary viewpoints, um, we will somehow be the advocates of the two voices within um, within this lecture. So um, is Tantra all about sex? No. No, it's not. Yes. Make your case. My case. So in the Tantric terminology, at least as we use it uh, today in the Atman Federation, we clearly distinct between sex and the sexual drive, which is generally going down. It makes us more and more selfish, more and more contracted, and so forth. And the erotic uh, impulse, which is an ascending one. It is like two uh, staircases, escalators. escalators, the sexual one going down. And it refers to every time that when we are um, having a sexual thought, a sexual kiss, a sexual intercourse, uh, coming from a sexual place, we become more and more egoistic, more and more instinctual, more and more animalistic, more and more self-centered. We come to take something from the other one. This is the downward-going sexual drive, and some of the people that practice so-called Tantra in the world today, sometimes we would have groups coming to our workshop from so-called Tantric schools, which are just practicing very intense, and they just have much more sex in the lower sense. You can really see it on them. It's very, very degradating when sex is practiced without love, without awareness, without transfiguration, just letting the animal become even more animalistic. That's the sexual downward drive, where is the erotic drive or the erotic power is um, brought always with the context of love. Yeah, so why you kiss your lover? Because of love for your lover, for his or her happiness, for his or her joy. That's why you kiss the thoughts Erotic thoughts are thoughts of fusion. So the motivation power is erotic and therefore the erotic experience is uplifting. So Tantra is zero about sex and when it comes to this uh, terms of couple relationship and so forth, it's a hundred percent about eros. So in five minutes of an interaction between couple, you can go up and down the stairs three times. You have a moment in which you are erotic and you kiss out of love and then a desire comes. And if you are dumb enough to follow a selfish desire, then you go down and you become suddenly all greedy. And then another erotic impulse comes and you feel to kiss and I don't know, caress in what way and you rise again and so forth. And for most people it's a mixed, but if you walk the path of Tantra, you will be able to really rise in this way. And then indeed, Eros, yes, Eros is very much uh, a Tantric path. And if you follow the path of Eros, you will alchemize your desires. You have to quote uh, Christ from the Gospel of Thomas. 
then the animal the man eats the lion blessed is the man who eats the lion yeah you eat your instincts and you become an elevated being but sexuality is when the lion eats the man and the the man becomes a lion so you go down in that way yes so zero tantra has zero to do with sex and all to do with eros what do you say my love <laughs> Well, okay. After okay. redefining, she said, "Okay, you yes. heard. We're fine." I hear you. <laughs> you hear me. I hear Good. you. I'm very uneasy about it. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Okay. Fair enough. We can redefine the question a little and say, "Is tantra then all about eroticism?" And then I'm here to tell you, yeah, it totally is, because uh, in the tantric context, eros is not just oh something something that we do in the bedroom or but <clears throat> Eros is considered a godly attribute. So it is considered one of the strings that makes up the canvas of creation. It is considered um, one of the, let's say, dimensions of God, the, the substratum of the highest, you could say. So um, you could say that Eros and the erotic interaction is actually present within everything. Every time you move your hand through the air and the atoms of the air touch the atoms of your hand, that's considered an act of eros. It's already a merging between my hand and the air right there. And if we want to even blow it up a little bit more, um, that uh, divine eros, the first starting point, the, the, the source point, the spring of that divine eros, is in the metaphysics of Tantra, um, or lies within the meeting of Shiva and Shakti, which is somehow considered the ultimate duality from the oneness of the source point of everything, what you might want to call God or uh, the Supreme or the Absolute or Brahman or however you want to name it. Um, in the process of creating a dual universe, the first duality that emerges is the duality of Shiva and Shakti, the duality of uh, masculine feminine of consciousness and energy and within the metaphysics of tantra it is understood that actually everything everything continuously is produced from the super sensual highly orgasmic cosmically orgasmic erotic game between shiva and shakti so if you will it's not just um, is tantra all about eros but actually tantra says Everything ever is about Eros because everything rises from the continuous uh, loving and highly erotic interaction between uh, Shiva and Shakti, the cosmic consciousness and the cosmic energy. Okay, so if Blandina answered okay, I will also say okay. <laughs> I hear you also. I'm in a very accepting mood this evening. <laughs> yes, true, but as you feel, comes a but. But what about all the tantric masters that came all the way from ignorance up to enlightenment without making love? I mean, we can look at the great tantric master Milarepa from the Kagyu lineage. There is no reference there. He first worked and built houses for many years broke his back and entered total despair to burn some negative karma. He killed a few people. 
about 35 <laughs> before with black with black magic before arriving to the path so he needed to break some burn some karma which he did building these houses and then after receiving the initiation he was meditating for decades in a cave by himself eating nettle moving from one cave to another and so forth and at least in the in the biography that he autobiography because he's uh, he's quoted writing it or he dictated it he doesn't mention any kind of intercourse doesn't mention a lover and sure there are tantric masters like Padma Shambhava and Drumpa Kunli and others that had many many lovers or tantric uh, couples like uh, Abhinava Gupta and so forth um, but there are also masters that we have no reference to and if we look for example at Ramakrishna also his first uh, practice where he attained the first states of elimination was Tantra and he did have a female master um, and he did do a lot of tantric practices as part of his divine madness he describes in his book he was very shameless as part of his practice he would uh, adore his uh, penis his lingam as the Shiva lingam so he would get flowers and adorn his lingam and sit there look at his lingam and adore it as the cosmic lingam but nevertheless uh, in all his biographies even he was married officially there was never any description of any kind of intercourse never made love and he i mean there's a consensus of all uh, tantric teachers that he attained the highest absolutely highest forms of enlightenment also like that and very possibly up to let's say one of the more modern uh, tantric masters Sri Aurobindo who did live with the mother he did live his, his wife was also enlightened or his consort was also enlightened but to my knowledge there is no descriptions of them uh, making love so it is possible to live the entire or to walk A to Z of the tantric path without making love that's fair enough fair enough we would call that side of Tantra the right-hand Tantra. So Absolutely. You might wonder what's always with these words. With the, the right hand, you would assume is the sexual hand, but turns out it isn't. <laughs> because <laughs> in, the, in the Tantric realm, the left-hand Tantra, Vama Maga, is the Tantra that goes for um, erotic interaction and actually getting down to it physically. Whereas the right-hand Tantra, the Dakshina Maga, is considered the one that uh, refrains from actual physical contact, while you might still be making love maybe in the astral or in the subtle realms in one way or another. So, yeah, I can agree, but... But, uh, I knew the but would come. <laughs> in the Kulanava Tantra, one of the big ones in the Tantric realm, please read, chance it says enlightenment is not accomplished by the practice of some boring techniques but through the conscious and harmonious fulfillment of our desires so as much as sure you could be, could be technically physically ascetic in the tantric sense you would still um, even lift that asceticism with the emergence with everything around you. In fact, in Tantra, or um, yeah, we could say so, you start as a right-hand Tantric, uh, sort of removing yourself from the world, practicing the techniques to merge with the Supreme, and then you would re-enter, much like uh, the old stories that we know, 
um, where the monks of the monastery, especially the tantric monks, would, after many, many years of, um, uh, of training and of doing deep retreats and staying three years and three months and three weeks and three days in the cave and not eating and all of that stuff and being super ascetic, the test in the end would be, okay, now go down to the village, find yourself a wife, make a family, make a life, and still remain in that state of total detachment and total enlightenment. And this, in the end, in the tantric path, is considered the supreme asceticism. When you prove your detachment in the act, where you don't refrain uh, from it any longer because you can, because you have come to such a state of, um, well, A, detachment, and B, oneness with everything, that um, it is completely irre irrelevant whether or not you are um, making love physically or astrally or this or that, because you could argue you are anyways in a continuous state of love making as you are in a continuous state of identification with Shiva and Shanti. So the story goes like this. There's a town, and in the town, on the hill, as it goes, there's a monastery. And in the monastery, the monks and nuns, they pray very beautifully, but also it is very well known that every night huge orgy and is wild. You can hear them partying and moaning <laughs> throughout the town. And uh, yeah, the mayor is not so amused. He's trying to, you know, raise some good citizens that, you know, follow the rules and are honorable and all that. <clears throat> He's trying to keep everyone in check and he has good and noble people around and so forth. And these monks and nuns, they are supposed to sit there and pray, and what are they doing? They're just messing around. So one day he gets upset. He goes up to the monastery, knocks on the door, and asks the abbot, please, to, you know, tell him what is up, and please to consider to let it go already with all these orgies and parties that they keep having. So the abbot, in all his compassion, says, "Look, I know. Let me show to you what is the what is the big difference here. Let me show to you what's the principle." So he says, all right, you uh, tell me the most noble, wonderful, pious, centered, settled man that you have here in town. And he says, well, the priest. You know, priest here. Let's go to the priest. And it's the middle of the night, and the abbot says, all right, let's come. We, uh, let's go to the priest and um, make my point. So they sneak in, go to the bedroom of the priest, spill a big uh, bucket of uh, ice cold water on top of the guy, jumps out of there and says, what are you guys doing? Are you crazy? Stupid are you swearing and blah, 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 taking the water off himself and chasing them out of the room and so forth. I am an honorable man. The abbot is just uh, silently nodding. Okay, take it in. Now let's go to the monastery and you pick one of these guys here or girls, whoever you like, who you, you think is the, just the worst of them. Just pick anyone that you think, okay, they are just, you know, they don't know what they're doing. And he points out one, they go in the night and they do the same thing, spill the water on top of the poor little monk. And um, the moment the ice water hits the monk's face, it's already rising in deep prayer, deeply immersed into into. And the abbot is like, look, and you can pray like that. And every moment in your life is a prayer. No matter what happens, no matter if you get beaten out of bed or whatever is going on, 
then you are free to practice also wonderfully and enjoy all the findings and objects. It's a very beautiful story. And indeed, I hear you and I can definitely take it in. But. Before, <laughs> before the but. Surprising uh, thing before the but. So indeed, Tantra is very much about the purification of the subconscious through fulfillment. And to take again Ramakrishna, when Ramakrishna would have a desire, he would immediately fulfill it. He wanted to have a silk uh, clothes with gold, uh, with a gold string, and to smoke a Hubble bubble, a kind of nargila like that, something to be very fancy and to kind of lie on the side and do that. So he had some rich devotees, and he says, please buy this from me. So they bought him with a golden string, and he put on his clothes. He normally was wearing a little piece of rag there and eating whatever was the leftovers from wherever. Very basic. And he put that on, and he felt like a big rich man, and he was with the smoking there and felt very nice. His desire was fulfilled for I don't know how long. Uh, not very long, uh, just uh, from the spirit of how he tells it. And then he was completely disgusted by this desire. This is what I fulfilled it, and it's completely absurd. And he takes off the clothes, and he steps on it, and smashes everything, and he hates it, and he's back to his rag. But he says, do like this, because he's a tantric. He says, if you have a desire, fulfill it. And then you figure it out. Yeah, And it's very much the path of tantra to fulfill, like you say, the very fundamental needs. Yet the very fundamental needs, yeah, it's not now you fulfill every every time you want ice cream, eat ice cream, you want Netflix, then you get enlightened. No. You have to go to the essence of the need, and masters could have attained that profound wish for fusion, like Miraletwa, Ramakrishna, and Sri Aurobindo, other tantric masters, they could fulfill this very profound wish for union without explicitly making love. But indeed, this profound purification of the subconscious is the essence of Tantra. You don't need discipline from a certain moment in Tantra. You need discipline on the path, but once your subconscious is clean, there's nobody to fight anymore. The urges themselves, the lion is eaten. The instinctual part, the contracted part is gone. And indeed, this part and the erotic part is very important in Tantra, but there are huge texts which say exactly how to do this, how to fulfill the very deep needs, and how to purify the subconscious without any erotic practices. So if you look at the Shiva Sutra, which somehow entails the entire Tantric journey and all the three, three plus one possible uh, Tantric path or upayas, there is no mention of intercourse. So you can walk the whole tantric path and clear out your subconscious and fulfill yourself in such a profound way that the need for intercourse, you, you need intercourse, you need to make love because you are separated from the universe. But there are ways in tantra, and a huge chunk of tantra, which is not explicitly speaking about lovemaking or explicitly about an erotic interaction and that can lead you to such a profound fulfillment and to such a profound oneness that 
the actual lovemaking is not is not needed anymore. You can go A to Z even without it. Of sorts. Of sorts. <laughs> no, of course I must agree with what you say because it's true. Um, but what is also true? What's also true? Tell me. <laughs> I'm wondering what's also true. Is that uh, samadhi, the highest ecstasy um, that we can obtain on on the spiritual path, the state of at least momentary enlightenment, the emergence with everything, the uh, absolute cosmic ecstasy or blissful state, um, is defined as the state of union between the observer, the observed, and the process of, of observation. So the highest spiritual ecstasy is defined as a state of union, is defined as emergence of the, um, let's say, so-called opposites but actually complementary parts that make up um, the one wholeness of a process that they originally sprang from. You could say that um, in that way any um, act of expansion, which this is the, the main thing that the tantric path is about, is that um, our consciousness expands gradually into each and every process that we are uh, engaging in until finally it is uh, completely expanded without any preference into everything. And if you think of a process of expansion, what, is, what it means when you reach out and you assimilate uh, the, the before unknown into the known, it is a process of unification. It is a process not even just, uh, okay, we come closer and then we kiss a little and then we go apart, but it is a complete flowing into one another, becoming one another, melting into one another. And this done sufficiently brings us to the highest spiritual ecstasy, to samadhi, when everything that we observe, everything that is touched by our consciousness is completely unified with us. It is not just... Oh, a state of samadhi is when the observer touches everything with their consciousness. No, it's the oneness, the union between the observer and the observed, the union between Shiva and Shanti, if you will, again, uh, going back to that. And then just practically speaking, because that might be a little bit out there, but just practically speaking, um, even just uh, as simple as coming coming into the body, coming into the senses and into the now, which is very much a baseline of the tantric practices that you become aware of your body and your senses now. It's a, uh, a process that makes you aware of the sensual nature of your body. In, in tantra, the, uh, the senses are called the indriyas, from Indra, the king of the gods, the highest of the highest being there in the realms of gods. Uh, Indra gives the name to these tools, the tools of Indra, our senses. And the sensual experience within Tantra is celebrated as the highest, highest that you could possibly accomplish. Why? Because it allows you to go into that emergence, into that union between you and everything around you. And that unification process is not as maybe when we read it in the book, we could think, oh yeah, and then I sit there and then my very spiritual consciousness is expanding and unifying and that is very clean and so forth. No, it is you becoming something else. It doesn't get more messy than that. It is like 
a full-on erotic act. It doesn't get more messy as to understood that, as I said before, the particles of my hand are continuously merging with the particles of everything around. Continuously, everything is flowing through me. I'm breathing the universe in. I'm breathing myself out. It is just as messy as a lovemaking act, you could say. And that's why also we are not surprised that uh, as much as the Shiva Sutras might not speak explicitly about an erotic act, is very much speaking about the implication of observer, observer, and observation. And then, of course, some uh, very big texts like the Vijnana Bhairava Tantra, one of these great texts of tantric meditation, does point out very clearly to meditate upon the moment of touching of the genitals of the lingam and the yoni, uh, upon the, even just the memory of, uh, of an erotic act can uh, lead you all the way into instantaneous enlightenment. What do you say? What do I say? <laughs> yes, indeed, it's a very beautiful observation and it's true that every act of perception, if we see it as such, Every act of perception has a perceiver which is masculine and whatever is perceived is feminine and the perceiver is constantly entering, the perceiver is constantly entering, penetrating the perceived and that is indeed a constant erotic act and from this perspective yes. Tantra, you can say that Tantra is erotic because the entirety of Tantra is a game of the perceiver, masculine perceiver, shivaic, lingam, penis perceiver, and the yoni, the, the vagina, which is the perceived, the feminine. There is a constant penetration of consciousness into everything, and that indeed is an erotic act. The main uh, misunderstanding that people have about Tantra and why it stands out so much because people say, well, the Tantra really touches hands-on erotic techniques. And they say, well, therefore Tantra is the, the science of Eros. It says, no, Tantra is the science of everything. Tantra has techniques, what to do when you're sad, what to do when you're angry, what to do when you're hungry, what to do when you can't remember something. There is a whole tantric technique in the Vijnana Bhairava Tantra. When you can't remember something, there is a particular silence in your mind. Forget about what you're trying to remember and look at the silence. Actually, you need to try to remember, but without remembering, and you stay in the silence. So Tantra deals with every aspect of life and therefore also of the erotic part, hands-on, very clear. This is the position this is how you do it, you do it for that long, you do it with those lights and, and so forth, and on that day of the moon, and uh, with such a condition of heart, and with such a transfiguration and so forth, and then yes. But Tantra is the science of everything. Whereas other uh, spiritual traditions, they are the science of almost everything, but just that, no, it's, it's ignored, it's forbidden. Yeah. So it stands out as a difference, because Tantra is willing to touch everything. There are even techniques when you go to the toilet. Tantra is willing to touch everything, and there are, there are tantric masters who got enlightened in the toilet. There are <laughs> descriptions. So Tantra is completely shameless, and it says, well, if you, know, if you can't see God in all, you can't see God at all. You have to quote uh, Yogi Bhajan. 
So everything and everyone is divine. I mean, if there is a God, and we come from an assumption that there is, then he's everywhere and everything, also the bedroom, and also your food, your sadness, and your memory. So, because Tantra has this assumption, and is very bold and shameless, and very non-institutionalized, and non, not politically correct, which is very much Tantra, then it touches everything, and it stands out, because other traditions have a little bit more of a politically correct uh, something something let's also create a harmonious society let's let's put that as a sin or put that in a box so definitely take god out of it or at least not in this very wild and free way so tantra stands out and from this um, reason it appears as if the erotic side has a huge part in tantra whereas if you look at the scriptures it's maybe 5% maybe 3% if you take the main 20 tantric scriptures, that's about as much as it touches there. Your part? Yes, but. So what you're saying mm -hmm. is... <laughs> yeah, no, of course, I agree. So you're saying tantra, the tantric path, is filled uh, with techniques to spiritualize anything in your life. Absolutely. Right? But then tantra also says, Anything in your life is uh, an act of unification between consciousness and energy. It is said sure. in one of the tantrics, a real tantric always has his mind amongst beautiful women. What does that mean? It means to have this continuous unification of the consciousness with Shakti. And in this playful way, it's, it's very interesting how it is presented, this having the mind amongst beautiful women. Now, it's not to get lost into all sorts of desires, but to stay in this courageous emergence that the Vira, the tantric hero, is continuously uh, able to somehow face with a lot of courage. Um, you could say that in the end of the day, as much as we might rise through various tantric techniques um, to a let's say, spiritualized viewpoint in many, many different areas of our lives. In that process, all those areas of our lives will be eroticized, if you will. They will become juicy. And very, um, very often, the, let's say, comparison that Tantra brings when you actually awaken to life is that you do become very turned on by life and by all its aspects and by the sadness of it, and by the, that people don't like you, and that people criticize you, and that you do not feel good right now. All of that will be, uh, you will learn to make love with that, to polarize that, to penetrate that with your consciousness, to be that continuous Shivaic presence that is able to contain the biggest ecstasy, the most cosmic orgasm, and in the same time, the greatest failure and the most awful tormenting emotions and being in hell and being in heaven all becomes one thing for the tantric. It all becomes this continuous interplay between consciousness and energy. And um, as, uh, let's say, an example of this um, beautiful vision of life as an erotic celebration, I want to read you as a final moment, a little um, extract from The Tantric Quest by Daniel Ogier, wonderful book, especially when you sit on this end of, of the couch, you can really get a beautiful um, 
direct account of how it looks like um, when somebody awakens um, in, a, in a tantric way to their spiritual nature and how it makes them such a deeply uh, erotic being. So um, in this book, Daniel Ogier is the, uh, talking in the first person, telling his account with his female master, Devi. And they are now in the middle of the uh, forest, living in some uh, uh, makeshift little huts, and um, she is initiating him. So I want to read you a little bit, and I invite you to listen in a tantric way, full of awareness, uh, open, erotically open, letting the words and their meaning penetrate your being and fulfill your heart. Devi let me consider what she had said. When she paused, her whole body seemed suspended in space, in total well-being and calm openness. I sometimes had the impression that the sky and the trees listened to her, that the waterfall quieted down, that the air stopped moving. I loved the way she spoke about life, always coming back to reality and our struggle to survive, understand, love, search. Then Devi says, the first five tatvas or elements are earth, water, air, ether, fire. Devi rose, saluted space and lay down on the ground. I imitated her, hands out in front of me, flat on the ground. The first tatva is earth. With all my body, I touch the earth. My hands touch the earth. My face touches the earth. My breasts touch the earth. My heart touches the earth. My belly and my genitals touch the earth. My thighs, my knees, and my toes touch the earth. I breathe deeply, and my breath is united with the earth. The whole earth breathes. Breath is everything. I delight in the earth, its presence, its energy. The earth is real. Only your superficial contact with the earth is not real. After a few minutes, Davy got up again and went down the narrow path that led to the river. Walking behind her, I admired the way both her feet made contact with the ground. In every movement of her body, there was a grace and a presence that gave the impression of space opening to let her penetrate it. We arrived at the basin. David let her clothes fall and entered the water nude. The, she approached me. The water covered her shoulders. She faced me. The second tatwa is water. I touched the water with my whole body. The water is real. Only your superficial contact with the water is not real. She immersed herself completely. I did the same, holding my breath as long as possible. When I came up, I was astonished to see that Devi was still underwater. I saw her body distorted by the water. I took another deep breath and plunged under again. I was conscious of the water going into my ears. I came up a second time and waited for Devi. Her face emerged, she opened her eyes, and I saw in them the playfulness of a young girl. She breathed in very deeply, slowly, then breathed out. Her hair was so black that almost, it looked almost blue. The third tatva is air, which enters my lungs, then nourished my body, my blood, and circulates through my entire body. The air is real. Only your superficial contact with the air is not real. Devi got out of the water and sat down on a big round rock, facing the sun. Since she was naked, I chose another rock, some distance away. 
but she, she motioned for me to take the spot in front of her. As I sat down, she said to me, Tantrism is one long face-to-face. -face. Nakedness is the nakedness of the conscious in which nothing is fixed. Everything flows there like a river. The shaktis are nude because not a single concept can find where to attach itself in their consciousness any longer, though itself wouldn't know how to stay put there. The phallus of Shiva is erect because it is raised to full consciousness, and in full consciousness it penetrates the universe. The vulva of Shakti is open because in full consciousness she lets the entire universe penetrate her. Shiva and Shakti are indistinguishable. They are one. They are the universe. Yes, so in conclusion, we can see that there is space for both ideas. And it is on one side true that uh, indeed just some tantric masters had actual lovemakings and just a small part of the tantric scriptures speak about explicit lovemaking techniques or erotic game techniques, but the entirety of Tantra is erotic, as Blandine mentioned, as this constant, constant game of the observer or consciousness and the observed or manifestation, which is feminine, and that that game, any act of perception when it's done consciously, is ecstatic and erotic. Um, the idea is that the woman is the expression of uh, Shakti, and Shakti is the power of the universe. She is, by definition, the only thing that can be powerful. Of course, also a man carries power, and when he would be willing uh, to do the effort and awaken uh, fully the state of Shakti inside, which is very possible, then he would... Um, have access to that same power because in the end of the day we are all um, androgynous beings. But for a woman it is naturally so that she carries power and for a man it is naturally so that he would um, uh, be more centered into consciousness and therefore within this world be maybe tempted to acquire power because he doesn't have it naturally. So uh, that acquiring, trying to acquire a power that isn't yours by means that are not fitting uh, therefore, violating Shakti comes out as violence, and yes, is the uh, most impotent thing you can do is to be violent, um, because it cancels the beautiful game of polarity between a man's consciousness um, that is meant to polarize Shakti around. A man is not to be powerful by himself. He's meant to be conscious by himself, and therefore polarize power around him, polarize women, women, whatever the case might be, however large or your contents might be, um, around you. And uh, from that uh, derive this game of masculine and feminine. Yes, it's a certain laziness of unity. The power of man comes by fusing with the one he loves or with the Shakti that's loved around. And in this way, you gain power through fusion. And that power is not yours in an egoistic way. You are a part of that power. You and that power are one, and somehow through that unity the power will flow in the right way. And when a man says, no, I want the power for myself to fulfill my selfish agenda, that's the 
essence of violence and you don't penetrate Shakti with an erect lingam to fuse with her, but rather you try to abuse her, manipulate her, uh, blackmail her, whatever, get her for your needs. A real man fuses with his beloved and somehow lets go, lets go of his own agenda and therefore becoming together with her really powerful, but not for a selfish agenda, but just for the flow of life, for the glory of life. Yeah. Also to be, uh, to, to be understood maybe that violence in this context can take uh, a, lot, a lot of different forms, like let's say that it's a, a spectrum. Uh, as such, so it's not just uh, violence against Shakti. It's not just when you raise the hand against someone, you hit them in the face. That that would be horrible enough. But also, as Uriel said, just having an agenda around it, which is this is usually the detriment for most men on the spiritual path, is that they do have an agenda when it comes to Shakti, when it comes to life, when it comes to women, when it comes to money, when it comes to energy of any form. And as long as you do have an agenda, you do have a problem because it will stand big, fat, nicely in the way of you and enlightenment. So um, observe very well as a man your relationship to Shakti. See where you are just in like wanting to dominate, where you are just wanting to uh, suck her breast and get something out of her, uh, get some pleasure, get some recognition, get some appreciation. Uh, get some little spark of what you were missing, you know, from, from the past or from your mom or from other lovers or from life itself. Uh, where are you just trying to get something? So my dears, I hope you enjoyed this lecture. I just went through it as well. We have it on our YouTube channel if you want to find Mahasada Yoga on YouTube. You can see our cute faces when we speak about that. Also, there's some extra questions and answers if you want to dig a bit deeper. And uh, yeah, uh, I find I'm quite I'm quite happy about this lecture. It uh, it really unfolds in a nice way, giving some yeah some very good pointers for people that want to study tantra and, and really consider to walk. Tantra as a path, like really going for enlightenment through tantric means. So I hope that um, yeah, this was helpful for you to find your own placement maybe in your own path. Definitely recommend to read that book that we were reading from in the in the end, the Tantric Quest by Sunny Rogier. You will also find the descriptions in the comments. Um, yeah, it's a perfect book to get a bit of an understanding of how the tantric path like can look like. Of course, it's it's still completely crazy. I mean, how many of us will really go to rural India and just go into some forest and randomly find our master there? But it's it's so wonderful to have such a wild story from a contemporary person, a person that knows about printing machines and internet and whatnot, that he had such an experience um, with his master. It's just so, it's, it sort of makes a, a point about the tantric path and about the spiritual path in general, finding an integration of, you know, 
as it says in the old uh, scripts, when the disciple is ready, the master appears, and it's exactly what happens for him. He's just ready to receive initiation, and boom, there shows up some wild tantric lady in the middle of the forest, and that's it. He receives initiation. It's such a beautiful story, and um, it makes a lot of good points about the tantric path, including that uh, the, the tantric path is a path of shaktism. That's something you want to read a bit about. Um, there's a good book by, again, Arthur Avalon, also John Woodruff. I think it's called Shakti and Shakta, something like that. And it speaks about uh, Tantra as the path of Shaktism and the Shakta as the disciple, as the adorer of Shakti. And um, in Tantra, the feminine, the awakened feminine, the Shakti is considered the, the master, the one leading uh, the way into perfection within creation. And it's, it's such a beautiful, um, poetic and still simple uh, book. It's easy to follow the, the narrative of it. It's, it has beautiful characters in it. It's a real story. Uh, it has all the elements of uh, tantric initiation, not all of them, but a lot of them, and it gives you a good idea somehow of what are the ground principles of Tantra. So it's a, it's a perfect book, and it's not even very long at all. It has 200 pages or something. It's easy to, to read through. Yeah, I hope um, this uh, lecture was inspiring for you, and please feel free to uh, contact us. You can contact us on our email. Um, Tantra Yoga Mai at gmail.com. Uh, let us know what subjects uh, are you interested in for us to talk about, for us to discuss about um, what is interesting for you to hear. Yeah, so if you have any questions, um, we're always happy to dive into questions and to hear the viewpoints of Tantra somehow through this scope and lens of a specific question. Uh, yeah, both of us, Maria and I really enjoy doing that, so you can make us very happy sending thoughts and questions. So that's it for our session for today. And it always makes us very happy also if you can leave us a review on your whatever your podcast provider is. It takes five minutes and it will make our day and will allow us to do what we're doing little more and deepen ourselves more into these wonderful subjects so that would be great if you could leave a review that being said i wish you a wonderful time until we meet again take care of yourself and as always remember first love and then do it